It would seem lately that the planet is trying to get rid of us. Maybe we've worn out our welcome, I'm not sure. Wild weather, hot flowing magma beneath the Earth's surface, the atmosphere, rising oceans. But perhaps most worrisome is the amount of ever-evolving microbes and disease running rampant all over the globe. Diseases that infiltrate our bodies, find out what works, see what doesn't, adapt, and return with stronger friends. I'm not all doom and gloom. We've got time. We're just running out of it. And while it may not affect us or our children or their children, one day, the Earth, as it does from time to time, will say enough. In our history, there have been five mass extinction events, the worst of which, according to the Washington Post, came about 250 million years ago, known as the Permian-Triassic extinction event. The consensus is that there was a huge volcanic event that went on for such a long period of time that it released too much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. A few of the earlier extinction events were due to freezing temperatures. I think we're safe there. What we may not be as safe from is the more frequent devastating plagues. COVID did a fair amount of damage, and who knows what it has up its sleeve for us next. Monkeypox is the hot new trending disease. According to the CDC, monkeypox is a rare disease caused by infection with the monkeypox virus. Monkeypox virus is part of the same family of viruses as variola virus, the virus that causes smallpox. Monkeypox symptoms are similar to smallpox symptoms, but milder, and monkeypox is rarely fatal. So, there's a little sunshine for you. The Plague of Justinian, which occurred in 541 AD, is believed to have killed around 10,000 people a day for a total of at least 25 million people. Some historians believe the death toll was much higher. It was thought to have started in Africa, and then spread to Europe via infected rats on merchant ships. The Black Death came next. In 1347, Italian sailors returning from Crimea brought with them a strain of plague that rocked the continent for over five years. Some entire towns were left with a population of zero. Medieval physicians didn't know what they were up against, and used crude techniques like bloodletting without any success. In Europe alone, when the Black Death wrapped up, it killed as many as 50 million people, or one in two Europeans. The bubonic plague would pop up here and there over the next couple of hundred years. The next largest event happened in the 1600s when troops who'd been fighting in the Thirty Years' War returned home with more than their shields and helmets. In major cities like Milan and Venice, sick people were shoved into pest houses and had their clothes and belongings burned. Local islands were also used to banish the infected. Due to the quarantining, numbers stayed relatively low, but it still killed nearly 300,000 people. The plague hit London numerous times in both the 16th and 17th centuries. Between 1665 and 1666, disease tore through the tightly packed, dirty London neighborhoods. At one point, as wealthy citizens moved to the countryside to leave the plague with the poor, Nearly 8,000 people were dying every week. By the time it ended, the city had lost nearly 100,000 people. In 1720, the plague came via a ship called the Grand Saint Antoine. 
After picking up infected passengers from the Middle East, it docked in the port of Marseille, France. Although the people aboard the ship were quarantined, they decided to let the cargo be unloaded. Rat fleas quickly spread and sparked an epidemic. Nearly 100,000 people died, despite plague walls being erected. That brings us to what is known as the third pandemic, and the subject of this episode. Let's get to it. Episode 47, Disease on the High Seas. According to the World Health Organization, over 6 million people have died from coronavirus-related complications. The actual numbers are probably much higher. One million of those are here in the United States. First of all, that number was shocking to me. With the running totals not on the news anymore, I'd lost count of the number. Coronavirus is not the plague, or even a plague. Nowadays, thanks to modern medicine, plagues like the Black Death are not as big of a risk. COVID-19, like a plague, is an infectious disease. It also shares its origins from animals. COVID-19 is caused by a virus, however, where a plague is caused by bacteria. We were able to watch, almost in real time, as the virus spread from country to country. Death totals ticked by on live television as everyone hunkered down in their homes and scrambled to find toilet paper. It was the first time for a majority of the world that we'd experienced a pandemic or plague-like event. It probably won't be the last because, as a species, we're dumb. But that's a subject we can tackle at another time. The first two major plague pandemics began with the aforementioned Plague of Justinian and the Black Death. The third pandemic, as it came to be known, originated in 1855 in the Yunnan province of China. While the disease did the most damage in China and India, it slowly worked its way around the globe, eventually reaching all six inhabited continents. So nowadays, we know that someone could be sick in London, board a plane, cough a few times during the eight-and-a-half-hour flight, and land in Detroit, having spread the disease or virus to a multitude of people and exposing an entire continent to whatever they had. That virus in this story traveled nearly 4,000 miles in just a third of a day. But how did these plagues and viruses travel 120 years ago? Let's take a trip by sea and follow the bubonic plague as it makes its way to San Francisco. The Toyokissen Kabushiki Kaisha Company was founded in 1896. Their goal was to become a major player in the trans-Pacific trade. Three ships were ordered from Great Britain. The first ship in the fleet was named the Nippon Maru. The 6,000-pound vessel was built in 1898 by Sir J. Lane of Sunderland. After starting service from Yokohama to San Francisco in 1899, the Nippon Maru was joined by its sister ships, the America Maru and Hong Kong Maru. The Nippon Maru was scheduled to leave the port of Hong Kong on May 21st. Newspapers in America listed the expected date of arrival as June 17th. In those days, steamships like the Maru were the only way to get mail, to immigrate, or send merchandise from continent to continent. The plague in Hong Kong reared its ugly head in 1894. That year, a total of 2,500 citizens caught the plague. Of those 2,500, 2,317 died 
providing a nearly 93% fatality rate. By 1899, the number of deaths had gone down, but the fatality rate had gone up even higher. Out of 1,486 cases, all but 52 people died, giving us a rate of 96.5%. As the Nippon Maru sat in the port of Hong Kong, the third pandemic had already reached places like China, Japan, India, and Egypt. The numbers annually were small, and no one in the Americas worried that it would reach them. So on May 21, 1899, the Nippon Maru left the port of Hong Kong and traveled 955 nautical miles to the port of Singapore. On May 24, the ship left Singapore and began the 522-mile trip to Nagasaki, Japan. Before reaching Nagasaki, it was revealed that a sickness had broken out amongst the Chinese passengers crammed into steerage. On May 26, one of the passengers died. When Japanese authorities learned of the issue, they held the Nippon Maru in quarantine at sea. Quarantine authorities boarded the ship, performed an autopsy, and attributed the death to the bubonic plague. All passengers in the cabin and steerage section were removed and taken to the quarantine station where they were bathed. Everything on board the Nippon Maru was disinfected. In those days, disinfected was a loose term and performed a variety of ways depending on which port you were in. Clothing was often burned. The interior of ships were scrubbed down and fumigated with a sulfur dioxide gas. A ship's ballasts may be emptied, and its bilges disinfected. Quarantine authorities kept the Nippon Maru in quarantine for seven days before shoving the passengers back on the ship and allowing it to leave port. The ship left Nagasaki on June 3rd and reached the port of Kobe, Japan, on June 6th. Two days later, the Nippon Maru left nearby Yokohama en route for Honolulu, Hawaii. The trip was 3,400 nautical miles and was supposed to take well over 10 days. Meanwhile, in Honolulu, employees of H. Hackfeld and Company expected to see the Nippon Maru on June 10th. They'd received no word of the holdup yet, and how could they have? Hackfeld was a business developer and importer of machinery and supplies for sugar plantations and an exporter of raw sugar. The company was a prominent business on the island and relied on ships like the Nippon Maru. By June 12th, people worried that the ship may have run into bad weather. On June 13th, now three days overdue, newspapers began to report that the ship may have been held up in quarantine. By the 15th, the prevailing theory was that the ship, running late, skipped Honolulu altogether and was headed straight for San Francisco. That may have been a wiser thing to do, as the 15th was also when a second Chinese adult fell victim to the plague. On June 16th, Honolulu newspaper headlines read, Nippon Maru feared lost at sea. Finally, in the early morning hours of June 17th, the Nippon Maru, its black and yellow quarantine flag flying, appeared on the horizon and anchored outside the port of Honolulu. Quarantine officials weren't sure what to do after learning of the second death. The onboard ship's surgeon blamed the death on uremic convulsions caused by the toxic effects of accumulated waste products and inorganic acids in renal failure. A port physician named Dr. Day was sent on board the Nippon Maru and joined by a government physician named Carmichael. Fluids were collected and sent to a Dr. Alvarez who quickly determined that the death was due to the bubonic plague. The 700 tons of merchandise and mail, along with Japanese and Chinese immigrants, 
would have to sit in quarantine for a while as they figured out what to do. A special meeting with the Board of Health was held. Mail from the ship was eventually allowed to be delivered to the citizens of Honolulu, but the passengers would need to be moved and the cargo disinfected. A steamship called City of Columbia was brought around to the port and the passengers from the Maru were transferred on board. Clothing was removed from all 217 steerage passengers and 8 cabin passengers. While they waited for their clothes to be disinfected, they were given Japanese kimonos to wear. During the board meeting, the length of quarantine needed for the Nippon Maru was discussed. One doctor in attendance was quoted as saying, It would be almost criminal for the steamer to take the chance. If they leave this port without being quarantined and the plague gets a good start, the steamer will be transformed into a floating morgue. On June 19th, the body of the Chinese man was burned aboard the Nippon Maru. By the following day, the Nippon Maru was deemed fit for travel. No one believed that the bubonic plague could thrive in cleaner locations. Honolulu at the time was an orderly, maintained city, and certainly the continental United States would not be in danger. There was concern among some of the citizens of Honolulu, however. A newspaper article from that week read, To those whose business takes them around the waterfront, the numerous fishing boats casting in the immediate vicinity of the Nippon Maru are the subject of remark and inquiry. Fishermen of all nationalities are daily engaged in following their profession in dangerous proximity to the infected vessel. The waste and refuse from the Nippon Maru floats around these fishing boats and is a constant source of danger not only to them, but to the city to which they return after their day's fishing. On the evening of June 20th, the Nippon Maru was towed out to sea and left for its destination of San Francisco, California. On board were a group of new passengers heading for the mainland. By the time the Nippon Maru arrived at the port of San Francisco, ten days later than its original arrival date, the bodies of two stowaways were found dead on the shores of Honolulu. Both of those bodies were found to contain the plague. Hawaii, which at the time had recently been annexed by the United States, wouldn't become a state until almost 60 years later. The reactions from the media in Hawaii and its future sister state, California, were a bit different. Newspapers in Honolulu ran stories like this. There's no reason to believe that there will be a spread of the Black Plague in these islands, even though a case may appear among the quarantine passengers from the Nippon Maru. The Black Plague cannot thrive except in localities where filth predominates. The sanitary condition of Honolulu has been good ever since the cholera outbreak in 1895. First of all, a sarcastic congratulations are in order on your going four whole years between possible pandemics. Secondly, what we see is at least an acknowledgement, with sprinkles of sunshine woven in. A little reassurance, even if it might not be factual. San Francisco media outlets and authorities went the route of silence and nothing to see here. Stories eventually popped up here and there throughout the country as other cases of ships arriving at various ports with contaminated passengers occurred. Things wouldn't get worse until the end of 1899, in the beginning of the new century. The bubonic plague hit Honolulu's crowded Chinatown in December of 1899. Newspapers reported that a man named Yan Chong had fallen ill and died. Chong was a 22-year-old bookkeeper at Wingwo Tai's general store. 
Not long after, residents of Honolulu reported cases of fever and swollen lymph glands combined with severe internal organ damage. At the time, people were still speculating how the plague spread from one person to another. Fleas that fed on rats inside of these cargo ships was the leading idea. But racism also played a part in some diagnoses and finger-pointing. Many blamed Chinese people and the conditions with which they lived in on the spread of the disease. Some doctors even believed that Asians were carriers of this strain of plague. Hawaii's Board of Health acted quickly with the backing of their government. Since the early victims were all Chinese, Honolulu's Chinatown became the focus and viewed as a hotbed for the plague. A quarantine was imposed on Chinatown, and the National Guard was called in to enforce the restrictions. In the late 1800s, Honolulu's Chinatown was primarily a non-white mixed neighborhood, consisting of almost 10,000 Chinese, Japanese, and Native Hawaiians. If an area of Chinatown became infected, the Citizens' Sanitary Commission sent all the residents from that area to disinfection stations. Before being moved to a quarantine station, all men, women, and children were stripped naked, sent to a fumigation shower, and put through physical inspection right out in the open, in front of guards. Shopkeepers and homeowners alike experienced material losses in great numbers. Any belongings or merchandise that was left behind or taken from them at disinfection stations were never returned. Property was often stolen, and in some cases, destroyed. On New Year's Eve of 1899, three more Chinese men died of the bubonic plague. The Board of Health acted quickly and began torching the homes and shops of the deceased. Controlled burnings of entire Chinatown blocks began. Residents of the area were still not allowed outside of the quarantine border. Meanwhile, over in San Francisco, people were getting nervous. Dr. Joseph Kinyon had recently been moved to San Francisco's Marine Hospital Service. His office was within the nation's largest quarantine station, known as Angel Island. Dr. Kinyon strongly believed in lab research during a time when most doctors thought it was nonsense. He predicted that this particular strain of plague would make its way to the states. All he could hope for was that they'd be ready for it. In January of 1900, as the new cases in Honolulu reached the states, Dr. Kinyon put forth an order that all ships coming to San Francisco from China, Japan, Australia, and Hawaii were to fly yellow quarantine flags to warn of possible plague on board. Businessmen, and sailors, and politicians were not happy. They considered Kinyon's new rule an abuse of power. Politically steered newspapers ran articles with headlines like, Why San Francisco is plague-proof. So-called experts spread lies that led people to believe that an Asian's diet of rice is what led them to be susceptible to plague. Meat-eating Americans would be fine. On January 8th, newspapers in Honolulu ran a breaking news article that was a notice to all passengers boarding the SS Australia heading to San Francisco on the 23rd. The notice was in order to comply with the U.S. health regulations prior to departure. Everyone boarding the ship needed to be pre-screened. On January 20th of 1900, the Hawaiian Board of Health began another controlled burning of a Chinatown block. This time, no one factored in the strong winds blowing in from the ocean. The fires picked up, roared through Chinatown and beyond. In the end, as horrified residents looked on in terror, unable to get past the security guards, 20% of Honolulu's buildings were destroyed by the fire. 
Many people, inside Chinatown and out, lost their lives. At the end of January, the giant four-masted steamship SS Australia reached the port of San Francisco. Thanks to the notice from the U.S. Health Department and Dr. Kenyon, passengers and crew were declared clean. The ship's cargo, however, was not thoroughly inspected and unloaded onto a dock near the sewers of San Francisco's version of Chinatown. With the cargo came rats and fleas, carriers of the bubonic plague. It didn't take long for the disease to spread through the cramped neighborhoods within Chinatown. Officials began to notice an uptick in rats behaving strangely. On February 7th, a man named Wong Chut King became ill. King was the owner of a lumberyard living in the basement of the Globe Hotel in Chinatown. The Globe Hotel was just across the street from the Chinese Red Light District. With any man being able to visit a hundred men's wife, as they were called, doctors assumed he'd fallen ill with gonorrhea. On March 6th, after medications failed him, he died in his bed four weeks later, becoming the first official victim of the bubonic plague in the United States. In the morning, the body was taken to a Chinese undertaker, and it was noted that King's lymph glands were severely swollen. Another doctor was called in who looked at fluid through a microscope that revealed what he considered to be plague. The samples were transported to Angel Island, where Dr. Kenyon injected two guinea pigs and a rat with a fluid from King's autopsy. It would take four days for the results, and in the meantime, they wanted San Francisco's Chinatown shut down. By the following morning, residents of Chinatown awoke to see their 12-block area encircled with rope and policemen. Between 25,000 to 35,000 residents, unless white, were unable to leave. San Francisco Mayor James D. Fillon was quoted as being in favor of keeping the Chinese from the whites, claiming that Chinese Americans were unclean, filthy, and a constant menace to the public health. After waiting only two and a half days, officials lifted the quarantine on March 9th. In their opinion, the animals in Dr. Kenyon's lab seemed fine. People in power doubted Kenyon's claims and chose to drag his name through the mud instead. By March 11th, Kenyon's lab presented its results. The two guinea pigs and one rat had died after being exposed to samples from the first victim. It was the plague, and it was here in the United States. At this point, politics were in play and everyone from the governor of California to the mayor of San Francisco were in on it. They wanted to shut Kenyon up and went as high as the President of the United States, William McKinley, to help do so. The San Francisco newspapers, one of which was owned by a wealthy Republican influencer, went dark on the story. Anything printed regarding the bubonic plague being in the United States was only run to make fun of and discredit Kenyon and the so-called doctors and scientists who believed it to be plague. Instead of restoring the quarantine, the Board of Health went door-to-door throughout Chinatown in order to disinfect it. Property was taken and burned and violence was used by policemen. Chinese people were scared and began hiding their sick family members. By March 13th, a fourth lab animal, a monkey, had died and tested positive for plague bacteria. Dr. Kenyon was rewarded by being transferred out of the city, but his work and results were already making it to medical journals and newspapers outside of California. The ban on mentions of the plague being real in San Francisco newspapers continued on, with one article in the San Francisco Chronicle mentioning the baseless allegations of the men who attempt to make the world believe that it is necessary 
to use microscopes to discover an epidemic. Throughout 1901 and 1902, the plague continued to hang around San Francisco. The governor at the time, Henry Gage, continued to deny that it existed. At the next election, he was voted out of office. In his final speech in early January 1903, Gage continued to deny the outbreak. He blamed the federal government, in particular Kenyon, the MHS, and the San Francisco Board of Health for damaging the state's economy. Some of this is starting to sound tragically familiar. Infected rats and squirrels left Chinatown and spread out through California and maybe beyond. In 1924, the plague popped up again in a predominantly Mexican section of Los Angeles. Forty people ended up dead. And as was the case in San Francisco, the media never printed the facts. Neighborhoods were closed off and homes were burned down. The only reason that the plague didn't kill more people in the United States is because the fleas we have here inject less stomach bile in their bites. So thank goodness for their small tummies, otherwise America may have been just like China or India. The disease crisscrossed the globe over the next 50 years, claiming roughly 15 million lives. According to the CDC, in the time between 2000 and 2019, there have been a total of 107 confirmed cases of plague in the United States, with 12 of those resulting in death. Thanks to modern medicine and a better understanding of the science behind plagues and epidemics, you and I don't have to worry as much. About that, at least. So when I talked earlier about how quickly something like COVID-19 can spread from England to the United States compared to the length of time it would take a plague to travel, we now have our answer. It's just about over a month. It's interesting to know that even 120 years later, some things haven't changed. Science is real, despite what some people on Facebook may tell you. Any thoughts or questions about the plague? Let me know. Curator135 at gmail.com I'll be posting a ton of newspaper articles and photos from around the time of the Nippon Maru. Thank you to all the patrons who are supporting this show on Patreon. I couldn't do this without you guys. Thank you to Dave, David, Jim, Marie, Laura, Vicky, and Chris for being a part of the team. If you'd like to become a patron of this podcast, please visit patreon.com curator135. There are three tiers of support, or you can name your own donation. Please like, follow, and subscribe to Curator135 on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And don't forget about the Curator135 shop, open now. Grab yourself some merchandise, all designed by yours truly. If you enjoyed this or any of my other podcast episodes, don't forget to leave a five-star review. It really helps. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you. One, four, three.